Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Kate Killian. Kate is a registered dietitian and doctoral student studying interventions to improve diet quality among families with young children. She works as a SNAP-Ed dietitian and nutrition consultant for a Head Start preschool and hopes to open her private practice in the near future. In the episode, Kate discusses why it's important to push back against the wellness cult, why it's so easy to fall down the path of misinformation, how to identify red flag influencers, and more. Enjoy! I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hey, Brooke. I'm so glad to be here. We were just talking extensively off air about the wild, wild west of TikTok. Yes. Uh, Listeners have heard me talk to guests about that before, and I'm sure they've experienced it themselves. But it's also a great space because we connected on there, which is awesome. Exactly. It's crazy out there, but you know, I have met so many cool people, you being one of them. So... It's a blessing, I'll say. It is, it is. And you just got to kind of tune out the craziness and just take it for the good, ignore the bad. And I think that's probably true with all social media. But it's a new skill, I guess, we have to develop in this world where social media is so prevalent. Oh, 100%. I think if you're not learning these skills, you know... there's someone out there who's doing it. And I think it's a missed opportunity if you're not doing it to connect with people, connect with clients, if you're in the health space. So, you know, that's why I landed there, but yeah. Well, and we will definitely let everybody know where they can connect with you, but I would love if you could start off by telling us, first of all, what led you to become a dietitian? And then I know you're pursuing a PhD. So yes. what led you then to go on and pursue even more education? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say my journey to being a dietitian started when I was in high school, when I developed an interest in health and nutrition. Um, I would say probably started fairly innocently. I started following the wellness blogs online. Blogs were really big back then. I feel like now they're not quite as big. Um, The social media influencers, all those things. And I really got into what I would now call like wellness online. And that led me to pursue a bachelor's degree in nutrition initially, where ultimately I thought I was going to go to school to find the answer of what are we all supposed to eat to be healthy. And while I was there, I actually changed my major. I dropped out of nutrition, which is a fun story to tell people now that I'm a dietitian. (laughs) I um, ultimately for two reasons. One, I started to learn about 
the factors beyond our individual control that affect our health, things like policy, and that started to interest me. But then on the other hand, I had realized that all of this wellness content I was consuming had started to take up such a large space in my brain that I was like, oh, I need, I need to take a step back from this, assess like, why am I studying nutrition? Do I really want to do this? Or is it this weird like, obsession with nutrition that I seem to have developed? So I dropped out of nutrition and ended up studying public health and worked in special education. And when I was working in special ed, I really knew it wasn't for a long-term career in that field, but I used that time to figure out more of my own relationship with food, but also start to consider what a career in nutrition might look like now that I had had my own stuff figured out, so to speak. And I was working in a school where we had students coming from all over the state and they were all students on the autism spectrum. So I was able to witness some different medical concerns that a lot of these students had, but then also the more structural barriers to health that a lot of them faced from different communities throughout the state. And so that led me to pursue a master's of public health in dietetics, where I finished my like RD requirements, uh, long internship and the coursework, Ultimately got into research, really liked it. I worked in HIV research for about a year and a half and did some cool stuff there, but then decided to pursue the PhD, both to build my research skills to perhaps become a researcher myself, um, or if not to become a researcher, to really understand nutrition research. So what I had learned along the way is that a lot of people in the nutrition space, whether they're credentialed or not, are using research online to really spread misinformation. And I started to see that, but I personally didn't have the understanding of research to really argue against it, like understanding the methodology and understand like, oh, I know this claim doesn't sound right, but I don't understand the studies enough to necessarily explain why that's the case. And so now at this point in my career, I'm two years into a PhD program at the University of Connecticut. I'm studying health promotion science. So I've gotten the opportunity to really learn about research from methodology methodology perspective, but then also to continue to build my dietetic skills. Mm. I think it's really interesting you talk about kind of falling into that sphere of wellness through blogs. I also kind of had that happen, which got me into the space that I'm in. So I'm grateful for that period of my life, but also it really sucks you in. And yeah. especially some of these accounts that make you fear everything and they back their claims up with cherry picked research and it feels like you've found the place and it's kind of countercultural and you kind of think, why have I never known this? Everybody's keeping these secrets. What's going on? But then maybe you wake up like I did. (laughs) And then you're like, wait a second. A lot of these people are kind of trying to sell something, whether it's a book or a supplement or a program. I mean, what exactly is the game plan here? And then what really was shocking to me is starting my own business and going 
two different seminars and things on running a business and how to use social media when I had no idea what I was doing. I honestly still don't know what I'm doing, but, (laughs) and I don't take advice from these people anymore, but the message for business owners or for people posting on social media, influencers, whoever was to say things that have shock value, because that's how you get people into your world. And you have to go against what everybody else is saying. And you have to publish this kind of crazy content to get seen. And I put everything together and realized, wow, that's what these people are doing who sucked me in. They're making it seem like they have discovered this secret out there to get people into their sphere just to build their following. But actually what they're saying isn't based in science. And I mean, it's, it's, I don't know what I would even call it. I mean, it's uh, criminal. <laughs> I don't want to yeah, say criminal. <laughs> <laughs> I guess some of them it's kind of criminal, but yeah. maybe for some not going that extreme. I mean, I don't misleading for sure. Yes. Uh, can you talk more about your kind of experience with, uh, you've called it before on TikTok, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you called it the wellness cult. Oh yeah. <laughs> can you Can yeah. you talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely, I guess I'll start by saying they, the people who are doing this, they're good business people. They're good marketers. They know what they're doing. Clearly. I mean, they have millions of followers on all of the platforms. They're selling all of their products. They're business people. Um, the, th- the thing about wellness I guess, you know, it's not harmful for everybody. So I, I try to have that perspective in that maybe not everyone will have the experience that I did. Most of us get into wellness culture because we're interested in feeling better and it starts really innocently. But then what happens is we start following all different influencers or all different really salespeople. And they all are showing you a different set of rules that you're supposed to follow to be well. And they almost start to accrue over time when then all of a sudden you're following someone who's a carnivore, someone who's a vegan, and then suddenly all you can eat is lettuce. And Mm -hmm. that's like, if you followed all of their rules, you could literally do nothing other than breathe. So I think that's where people start to get into a tricky territory. But part of what makes me call it cultish is that these rules start to really guide the way that you're living. So it's not just about the food necessarily, although that's what I talk about a lot, but they might dictate your sleep schedule, your exercise schedule, what you're eating, where you're eating. And then it eventually starts to dictate who you're spending time with because you want to spend time with other people who value wellness as much as you do. Um, It dictates how you're spending your money. And ultimately, a lot of the things that become the foundation of the way that you're acting aren't actually based in science. They're based in these ideologies that you have been following online and it it gets messy and it's hard to figure out, but I have talked to so many people who fell down these rabbit holes eventually came out, whether it's because maybe they found a different creator who was debunking some of this stuff, or maybe they just got sick of it and realized it was harming their mental health. But so many people then look back and realize that what started as a pursuit of health turned into being like, controlled by their pursuit of health, where it was no longer helping their mental or physical health for that matter. Mm -hmm. I have one client right now who comes to mind who 
exactly what you talked about. She was following all these different people. And it's this kind of paralysis by analysis thing. She got to the point where she couldn't take any action because everybody was saying something counter to the other people. And then, you know, one person saying, don't eat breakfast. The other person saying, you have to eat breakfast. One person saying, only do strength training. The other person saying, walk and do cardio. She just, she had no idea what to do. (laughs) So she just said, just uh, please help and just kind of sift through all this. But I mean, we've had multiple calls at this point and it's still tough for her to kind of trust in the simple, slow process. I think when you come to somebody who is following the evidence and the science and they're saying kind of the boring things of move your body, be sure you eat enough, be sure you eat enough of things like protein and fiber. It's, it's so simplistic that it seems like it can almost be true because you've been following all these lofty ideas and then all somebody's saying the basics yeah. and it's like, wait a second, like this, has yeah. it been this simple all along? And then you feel like your brain was just hijacked by all of this nonsense for years, which can be tough to reconcile. But I mean, it's like, I think you said, we often get into it because we want to improve our health. It's not necessarily harmful to everyone. But when you get to this point where you feel like you don't know what to buy walking down the grocery store aisles and you want to go on your Peloton, but people have said, don't do cardio, you know, don't do the exercise you love. It just gets into this horrible space where you are living by these external rules and kind of denying what works for you. And Mm -hmm. you're just kind of miserable. A hundred percent. And I, you know, I feel like something that's so dangerous about it is that part of what wellness culture tells you to do is to not trust authority figures who actually study health. And a lot of people are saying, you know, do an experiment on your own body. Don't listen to the experts. They're all lying to you. And it creates this distrust in actual evidence-based health practices that leads people down these rabbit holes that again are so hard to get out of because then suddenly they don't trust anybody who actually legitimately knows the science. Um, So it's really hard to combat. And like you said, so dangerous for folks like your client. I, you know, it's funny when I decided to drop out of my nutrition major, when I was a little like sophomore in college, I had gone to buy tortillas. And I remember standing in this grocery store aisle looking at all the different types of tortillas and I was like well I'm supposed to get you're supposed to eat whole grains also supposed to eat organic but also low carb like is whole is corn tortillas or those whole grain but like maybe they're GMOs I don't know and then suddenly I was like I none of these fit all of the rules and it was this moment of like paralysis where I think I just walked out of the store I like went to my laptop and I emailed my professor and was like I'm out. Sorry. Mm. Like if once you're at a point where eating any food causes anxiety and fear, I think that is a sign for people to really think about their wellness practices and what they could do differently to actually feel better. I want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. 
Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. It's funny that you're describing that. My husband and I went to Trader Joe's over the weekend. We don't get there often because you know, there's usually a line. It's crazy, the parking, whatever. But when we go, it's just you know such a special time. And I'm like, just throw anything in the cart. Like, let's, oh, yeah. let's stock up at Trader Joe's. And I was buying tortillas. And I had this moment where I flashed back to a similar moment that you described of... I didn't know kind of how to navigate grocery store aisles. I thought I had to be gluten-free. I thought it had to be organic. Similarly, I thought it had to be whole grain, but then how does that work with gluten-free? But I just picked up the tortillas this weekend that looked the best. I think they were whole grain because they were the bigger size. And I wanted to make, I think we're making chicken Caesar wraps or something for dinner one night. And I just threw them in the cart and just felt free and kind of relief and, you know, stocking up on fruits and vegetables and hummus and different things. But then also we found these sour cream and onion puffs that Mm. are fantastic. Just knowing I can have some processed food amidst a bunch of whole foods and overall dietary pattern matters most. And I'm not going to die if I eat these delicious sour cream and onion puffs. Like it just is amazing (laughs) to go shopping and just to have the knowledge and understanding now that all foods can fit some more in moderation than others, but really I don't have to kind of fixate on one grocery or one food and avoid it or ponder it for minutes in the grocery store. I mean, it's just, I love the freeness that I feel. Yes. A hundred percent. I think that's what sometimes is hard to communicate as some, as some, I'm sure you've experienced as someone talking about nutrition in a way that is non-restrictive, but still health focused. And I think people get really tied up in the fact that like, oh, if you're not telling me that I can never eat Oreos, for example, then you must be telling me I should only eat Oreos. And I think a lot of us have that kind of black and white mindset with food, but I find with so many people that like yourself, when you're able to allow yourself to eat all foods, and maybe still have health values that you want to eat more vegetables, fruits, whole grains, whatever it may be. Like when you're able to eat all foods, you have so much less stress. You're able to eat a quote unquote healthier diet most of the time because you're not like white knuckling and you're not Mm -hmm. swinging that pendulum back and forth. And suddenly it's a lot easier to stick to your health habits that you have in mind. 
Absolutely. And I talk to clients, you know, most of them have kids. And I say, what happens if you tell your kid they can't do something or they can't have something? And typically all the kid wants then is that thing. And, you know, we're not that different. We're all humans. We're not that different from kids. And so a lot of the things we know about kids are true for us as well. If we, if you tell yourself you can't, I mean, if I thought I couldn't have those sour cream and onion puffs, they look so good. And if I walked by them, I'm probably going to turn to something else later on because I denied myself that thing I wanted. And so it's going to come out eventually when you have this hankering for a flavor or a texture, you're going to end up satisfying it probably in the future. So it's, if you just eat the thing and enjoy the heck out of it and move on, it's typically a better way to approach it than deny, 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 and then binge. Right. hundred percent. Totally agree with you there. I think you posted that your boyfriend is, is he a psychology a psychologist? Oh, funny. So he was. He studied psychology in his undergrad. He is now a computer scientist. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> a little bit of a change there. Opposite path. But you said something that he told you about why people follow misinformation. Do you yes. remember that? Could you share that with us? Because I thought that was brilliant, and I think about it all the time. Yes, 100%. So we, had, we were having a conversation one day, and he was like, I don't know, he must have learned this in one of his psychology classes that he took, that misinformation sticks when you hear it and then you forget where you heard it from. And so it's almost that when you forget where you heard it from, it just feels like this piece of truth in your brain, essentially. So gosh, trying to think of an example, like uh, carbs are bad. So many people have heard that carbs are bad, but they can't necessarily put a finger on like, where did I hear carbs are bad? Because it's just so part of the culture or so many different people are saying it that You just assume that it's true. And that is when misinformation is so hard to combat because it's not, people see it as a fact. And when you then come around saying like, no, you can eat carbs. People are like, oh, no, 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 no. I know this fundamental truth that carbs are bad. Mm -hmm. So. mm -hmm. I, I love that. And I think about it all the time because yeah, the way you described it, you just think, oh, everybody knows this and therefore it's just common knowledge. And if I go against it, it's kind of this socially accepted thing that every, we just all know this, but nobody knows where they know it from or if it's backed in science. But I think that's, that's a really good kind of litmus test or way to kind of pause yourself and things you think, you know, can you actually trace back, you know, who said that or what mm-hmm. types of people, what types of accounts are saying that? Is every account saying that? I work in the weight loss space, so I'll have clients who say, I know that carbs prevent weight loss or weight maintenance. You can't eat carbs. And then I say, can you think of one person in the world, just even one, who is eating carbs and also has been able to lose or maintain their weight? And then they usually say, well, yes. So that I say, but then how could that be true, right? If if even just one person is eating carbs, like if the if there was a true fact that carbs prevented weight loss and weight maintenance, then that one person wouldn't be able to do it. And there's actually just not one person. There are millions of people doing it. <laughs> so if you kind of run this through your head and realize, wait, millions of people are eating carbs and still working towards their nutrition and weight loss and weight maintenance, body composition, whatever goals, 
then maybe this isn't as accurate as I thought. Yes. I love that so much. I think that's a great exercise for people to do is if they have this belief that they notice about, you know, their health or how they're supposed to be acting to really think about where they may have heard it. I know it can be hard um, where they may have heard it, what kind of accounts are seeing it or saying this kind of thing. And if you can find some sort of experience either in yourself or somebody else that contradicts that belief, maybe it's worth exploring a little more. Mm-hmm. Right. If somebody right now is kind of questioning the accounts they follow on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube, do you have any kind of red flags you can share for I guess, kind of wellness influencer BS that you look out for of if somebody's saying this kind of run the other direction. Oh, totally. Absolutely. So (laughs) I would say there's a lot of them, but my personal favorite is that if it sounds too big to be true, it probably is. So if someone is saying that they have the magic pill, the magic solution to whatever health problem you're facing, I would say odds are that they're probably incorrect. Because what we see in health research is that there is no single way to be healthy. There's no single way to achieve, whether it be weight loss or general healthy eating, there's no single way to do that. And so if an account is saying that they have the single way, I would argue that they don't actually know the research or they're choosing to ignore it. Another big one is if they're selling something. Obviously, there's exceptions. You know, there are great people selling coaching services like yourself, but if you see someone saying, don't eat vegetables, but buy my supplement, I would say that's a red flag. Yeah. If all of the information they're telling you point towards a product that they're selling, they clearly have a financial interest in making you believe something. So take a grain of salt when you're listening to them. Um, another one of my personal favorites is when someone is using their body to sell whatever they're saying, whether maybe it's just their account, you know, you see it with people having the, um, the, what I eat in a day videos where they start the video by lifting up their shirt, showing you their abs. Then they go to tell you everything they ate that day. Are they explicitly saying eat like me, look like me? No, but that is the message they're implying. And that message is not correct. Mm Mm-hmm. So those are probably my top three. I could definitely list more, but those are the biggies. Something I learned a while ago is when you talk about nutrition research, if from a science-backed perspective and you're looking at the body of evidence, not just cherry-picking data, the way you talk about it also matters. And so when you see nutrition professionals that are very trustworthy speaking about the literature and the research, they will say things like research suggests, or this study suggests, not this study proves like this. You can't say that. It's like, you know, you can't prove something. You just, the research suggests currently, but in 10 years, it might suggest something different. It's always evolving and speaking to allow for nuance. Yes. It feels like those people shouldn't be the trustworthy ones, right? Because they're, they're saying, well, it depends. Yes. And then this other person is saying, well, this is how it is. So you think, okay, well, that 
person clearly doesn't know what they're talking about because they're saying it depends. And this person says, no, this is exactly how it is. But actually mm. the person who's, who is giving the nuance and the gray area, they're speaking in the way a scientist speaks because you yes. can't make these platitudes about nutrition or health because the research is always evolving. Oh, completely. I joke with friends and family that love to come and ask me nutrition questions. And I say, if anyone tells you something about nutrition and the answer doesn't have some form of it depends, then it's probably incorrect. You know, because there are always situations where there are those caveats. There are those, you know, the science is fuzzy. And people who are speaking in black and white terms that aren't acknowledging all of those caveats or the fuzziness of the science aren't actually telling the truth of what the science says. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that's a huge one to look out for. I'm also really skeptical of people who have hung their hat on some trend. So if their username is something like intermittent fasting, Nancy or something, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are, they have committed. So you have to think, what is the cost for this person if they do change their perspective so if they're intermittent fasting Nancy and they have a million followers and then all of a sudden they come out and say, you know what, actually, I looked at the research and I realized it's a great tool for some. It's not something that everybody needs to do. It could actually backfire for many. If they talk about the nuance, they lose 500,000 followers. Yeah. So I think, you know, anybody, like you said, who's speaking about these principles in these black and white terms, you have to think what's the cost if they were to start speaking differently. Mm. And for a lot of them, it's their whole following. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's funny you say that because when I got into wellness, I followed a lot of vegan plant-based influencers. And most of them now I would say have come out and said, oh, this wasn't actually working for me. And a lot of them, like, there's so many stories of them receiving death threats and losing their whole career that they had built in that space. And like you said, those are the stakes for a lot of these people who have built their brand around a specific way of eating. Mm -hmm. So I like to say that if their diet has a name, that's probably a red flag. <laughs> if, you know, if inter whether it be intermittent fasting or something else, if everything they're promoting has a name, has all these books behind it, I would say it's, again, red flag. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. 
you also have said before, I have all these quotes in my notes because I <laughs> watched so many of your TikToks, but you've said nutrition basics are more important than nutrition trends. So are you essentially saying the trend would be intermittent fasting? Mm-hmm. And so that's maybe not the thing that everybody needs to subscribe to, but then the ba- there's basics behind these trends that have some truth. And so it's not that everything somebody's saying and this is necessarily a lie. There are some basics that could work for everyone, but the trends are what we want to avoid. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. I, I think what I bring it back to is the research we have on how, we'll say people in the United States are eating. And we know that most people are not eating sufficient fruits and vegetables or whole grains and protein unsaturated fats, all of these things that we know are good for us. And so those are what I would call the nutrition basics, focusing on these simple, healthy eating habits that you can do every day, that you can realistically do every day and maintain for the long term. I find that trends almost pull our attention away from those basics. So people might get caught in, you know, continuing to use intermittent fasting as an example. They're thinking, oh my gosh, here's my eating window. I can only eat this many hours of the day, this many days a week. And they're spending all of this energy on that, but then they're so stressed that, you know, meal prepping gets really hard. You know, mm-hmm. oh, oh my goodness, I only have 30 more minutes until my eating window's up. I better get something really quick. And then suddenly they're not able to prep the veggies, for example. Right. I think that's probably a big one. And that any of these trends, whether it be a specific diet, like intermittent fasting, or even little things like, freaking out about whether you should buy pink Himalayan salt or just regular table salt is these little nutrition trends that really don't necessarily have a meaningful impact on your health, at least in comparison to eating enough vegetables. Mm-hmm. So it's the the basics that are really going to move your health in the direction that you want it to go more than any single trend would do. And it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia when you see yeah. somebody saying, pink Himalayan salt is the solution to all of your ailments. Right. And that's kind of easier too, right? Like, oh, cool. I can just buy that and not buy the regular iodized salt I've been buying. And when we focus on these things, we're ignoring the, there's a doctor I follow who I love. He calls them kind of like the big rocks. So he's Mm -hmm. like, if you, if you do the big rocks, you don't worry about the pebbles Yes. That's how you see the results. And so there's so many people focusing on the pebbles. Oh, yeah. They're distracting you from the big rocks. Yep. And most of those, like you said, the pebbles don't actually matter. You know, it, if anyone's wondering, you don't need pink Himalayan sea salt. Um, it is more expensive and really essentially the same thing. And that's what most of these trends are, is they're just like silly little things, like you said, distracting you from what actually matters. <laughs> And then it's so frustrating because you feel like I'm doing all of the things and I'm spending so much money and I'm still not getting the results. And so that's what I hear all the time is people just absolutely exhausted by following Mm -hmm. the trends for years. And then again, I work in the weight loss space. So most of them will say, you know, I've been doing all of the things, but I'm still putting on five pounds a year and I'm feeling less able to move around with my grandkids and I'm feeling more confused than ever. And that's a horrible space to be in. So I think if you take one message away from this, maybe it's do a social media cleanse 
don't do the, don't do a juice cleanse. No, (laughs) (laughs) you don't need a juice cleanse, but maybe take 10 of your minutes that you're on social media this week and look through accounts and ask yourself, are these accounts kind of aligned with the science and the nuance, or are they trying to sell me their ideology and their supplements and Mm -hmm. unfollow? hundred percent. One of my favorite things is the not interested button too. Oh, you know, on the TikTok for you page or an Instagram explore page, you can tell the algorithm that you don't want to see that type of content. And so if you start seeing, I don't want to call anyone out, uh, any of the carnivore, any of the carnivore uh, influencers online selling their supplements, you can tell TikTok, I'm not interested. And the more times you do that, the algorithm starts to shift itself to show you different content. And that can be so helpful for your stress, your anxiety, your general mental health. It's yeah, it's wonderful. Do you just hold down your finger on the video and something pops up? Is that how you do it? Oh gosh. I think you have to hit the, on TikTok. I have to have it in front of me. I think there's like the little three dots on the menu. Okay. Yeah. I think if you hit that, you can say not interested. Okay. That's very helpful. Cause I don't know that Instagram offers that, but I, I do. Oh, it might not anymore. Yeah. Well, I, maybe it does. I don't scroll. I've tried to reduce my own scroll in my life, but I did have a habit of doing that for a while on TikTok. I feel like I'm in need of another cleanse myself of just intentionally going into TikTok someday and thinking when I'm not interested, I'm going to be sure to take extra time this whole session and do that just kind of the intentionality around that. And it doesn't have to be every time, right? But if you do that just one day a week, even your feed gets curated to a space that brings you joy rather. Like I was talking to another client and she was saying that you never know what you're going to get on social media. And so she will use it in bed at night before going to sleep. And some nights it's cats and it's cute little kids and it's just happiness And then she drifts off to sleep easily. Other nights, she says it turns into doom scrolling. And it's all these awful videos making you doubt whatever in your life or fear whatever. And then she can't fall asleep for hours. And so we were talking about what's a nighttime routine that would give you more peace and consistency all the time. Like, how could you know you're going to just have this peaceful evening. And she said, Oh, you know, I love to read. I don't read as much. So if instead of looking at my phone, if I turn to a book, I know that's a guarantee of a peaceful, lovely evening versus you don't know what you're going to get. And so I think, again, sometimes it can be great and fun, but other times it's not. And so just being very conscious of when we're using these devices, how long we're scrolling, are we looking at them last thing before we go to bed? That can impact all these other areas of health that are so important, like sleep. Sleep. Oh, exactly. You know, I think if people could take a mindful moment, I'll call it after using social media or during and check in with yourself and just actually notice how you feel. You start to notice maybe after you use social media, you're clenching your jaw or you're feeling more anxious than you did before, or you're having trouble sleeping And I think the more mindful you can become of that response, you start to be able to, one, maybe be motivated to curate your feed a little bit better, but also maybe the answer is using it less. And Mm -hmm. 
setting the limits, spending a little less time on the phone, a little more time with the people in your life. And oftentimes you feel better as a result. For sure. And I think this is something every time I talk about it, I talk to myself about as well. You know, I'm not exempt from this myself. (laughs) I have implemented a reading practice at night. It didn't happen overnight. It took a long time and it's hard to put the phone away and, you know, set the alarm, turn it on silent, make it more of a paperweight. And it's just, we have these phones near us all the time we kind of have that phantom buzzing even sometimes, right? It's like we feel mm-hmm. their presence. We feel that there may be alerts even when there aren't. It's hard to disconnect. So if that's something you're struggling with, I want everybody to know I struggle with that as well. <laughs> this is something oh, that too. I'm a constant yep. work in progress <laughs> on this. Myself included. It was yeah. literally yesterday when I was I was on TikTok, had gotten some comments that made me a little frustrated and I decided like, okay, I'm going to put this away. But then, you know, even the rest of the night, I was like, oh, I wonder if they responded. Uh-huh. Should I go check it again? But ha- taking that mindful moment to acknowledge, like, is that actually going to make me feel better? Or is it going to make me feel worse? Yeah. And the answer is maybe it makes you feel worse and maybe it's time to pick up a book. So Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's in the comment section, you probably know the comments that they're sharing back are not going to make you feel better. <laughs> no, very rarely. They're probably not all of a sudden can be like, you know what, Kate? you're so wonderful. I appreciate it. You know, it's not going to be that it's going to be more (laughs) attacks or whatever's going on in the comments. But I think that's such a good point. I like the mindful moment idea. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Oh, I love that question. You know, for me, making the health investment is taking a moment during all of the individual small behaviors in your day, whether it be movement, whether it be eating related, taking that pause, that mindful moment and acknowledging and asking yourself, what do you need for your health? In some cases, maybe it's a vegetable for your physical health. Maybe it's a cupcake for your mental health. And if you continue in each of those moments to check in with yourself and ask yourself what you need, you're making those little investments in your physical and mental health that add up over time and lead to a life where you feel better mentally and physically. So I love that. And I know for myself, sometimes the answer of what I need physically is not always what I particularly want, especially when it comes to end of the day. I know I got to get outside, get some movement. I know that's going to physically make me feel good, but it's sometimes a struggle. But I do feel that, that when you do it over and over and you get in the habit of asking Mm -hmm. yourself, what do I need right now? You are kind of banking these small investments towards your current and future health. But I love, I love the way you said that. Oh, thank you. Just checking in. Exactly. Just, I think we get very disconnected. Speaking of our devices, right? We get very disconnected from our physical body. Yes, completely. I think trying to get back, you know, trying to get back in tune with that, like the physical sensations in your body, what's going on in your mind, And then I think sometimes the hardest part is actually being honest with what you need. Mm. Like you said, sometimes it's the end of the day. You say, what do I need? It's like the couch. I need the couch. (laughs) But, you know, if you you take an extra moment, take a breath, be like, no, really, what do I actually need? It's maybe taking a walk. (laughs) So, Mm. And the walk will give me more energy. It'll help my mood. It'll help me sleep better. Usually these things kind of snowball into other benefits later on. But yeah, what I, what I feel like I need a lot of the time is the couch and a good TV show, but 
<laughs> we need that too. <laughs> I do need that. I need that. I'm always like, okay, if you go on your walk now, then you get to do it, right? The It's not that you can't do it at all. It's just go walk for a little bit and then you can come back and do that and just sink yeah. into the relaxation. Like that can still come. Completely. And then you're treating yourself well, body and mind. You end up feeling better for it. So absolutely. Where can listeners follow and find you? Yeah. So on TikTok, as we've talked about, my account is family.dietitian. And dietitian is, I always spell it D I E T I T I A N, not with a C. Um, and I am also something new is coming, starting a private practice. So I'm going to be able to accept insurance for clients in Massachusetts. So my website for that is KillianFamilyNutrition.com. The website is a little bit of work in progress, but you can find my information there and stay tuned for when I am officially credentialed with the insurance companies and can start seeing people via telehealth. Awesome. And I know that you have kind of moved into helping parents help their kids. And that's a space I've talked with guests before about that. I'd love to have you back sometime. And I know we did kind of like a dive into the wellness cult today, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would love to have you back and talk more about how parents can kind of navigate the world of nutrition and health in a way that models good behaviors for their kids and how to help with picky eaters. Um, A lot of your TikTok is about that now. So definitely follow Kate. If you have kids on TikTok, are you also on Instagram or is TikTok your space? I am not. Oh yeah. That's made an account and then was like, this is too much. I got to stick to one for now. (laughs) I think that's really smart. So find Kate on TikTok, but yeah, we'll have you back sometime and we can talk about all of your family dietitian stuff. I would love that so much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kate. We're all looking forward to staying connected off air and just really grateful for all the wisdom you shared with us today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brooke. I appreciate it. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.